This week's episode of the Run, Eat, Drink podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Head on over to patreon.com slash run, eat, drink podcast and subscribe today. Fans, founders, and insiders like you help us keep the Run, Eat, Drink podcast going. And we thank you for your support. This is Catherine Switzer, and you're listening to the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. Welcome to the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. We feature destination races from across the country. And after the race, we take you on a tour of the best local food and beverage to celebrate. So whether you are an elite runner or a back of the packer like us, you'll know the best places to accomplish, explore, and indulge on your next runcation. Hey, welcome to episode 162 of the Run, Eat, Drink podcast, one that I wish we could call episode 261. I'm your host, Amy. I love what you did there. And I'm your co-host, Dana. And I'm excited about tonight's show, even though we can't change the number. No. Like we would like to do we can unofficially call this episode 261 Mm -hmm. and then when it comes time to release episode 261 just flash back to this maybe by that time we could have our very special guest on the show again that's true that is very true Mm. and and i think it's very appropriate as we are recording tonight's episode yeah which features a hero of yours very much so i am surrounded by all the women of our family Oh, yes. We have Danny the dog. We have Natasha the cat. And you. Stop it. Yes. Stop it. So it's ladies night in the podcast studio as we are going to be talking to a hero of women's running. Yes, we are. Catherine Switzer. K.V. Switzer is the running segment of our show is featured in the running segment of our show she is the running segment of our show because let's be honest you you we talked to katherine switzer a woman who's iconic of course historic uh-huh and then we talk about the 5k training run we did in our neighborhood after that i mean no come on no no we don't we don't <laughs> so no we, we those 5k runs are necessary yes but but i think that's not a what this episode is about tonight absolutely not this morning or whenever anybody is listening to it and she has an amazing story that we are going to be sharing with you folks over the next couple of episodes Mm -hmm. and she was very giving of her time with us yes all the way we this that was our first call to the opposite side of the world and To a different day. We actually traveled in time to get that interview. We did. Well, we crossed the international date line anyway. I I can't tell you how many times I calculated the time difference so that I would be 100% sure everything would be okay. Oh, yeah. Would go off without a hitch. We, there, we may have even confirmed, like, what's the conversion time from, from Eastern Standard to you know, calling down to the Shire, which is what I refer to it as. You call it the Shire? That is where they filmed all of the Lord of the Rings movies. That's just because you like that. 
New Zealand. Yes. She lives in New Zealand. Yes. So we got to call New Zealand. It, it was a, a bunch of firsts for us. Yes. You're tearing up just thinking about it now. She's an iconic athlete. She is an author, an Emmy award-winning broadcaster. She's an advocate for women's sports. And it was just an honor to talk with her. The third week in April, as we are recording this episode on a Monday, which is Patriots Day in this third week of April. Mm -hmm. And that is typically the day the Boston Marathon is run. Yeah. This year, it's a little bit different. But historically, this would be the day. This would be it. Of course, we are still seeing modification due to the global pandemic. Mm -hmm. So... It still, I think, merits release on this week. I think that the us sharing this interview on in this week is symbolic in and of itself. I'm sure there are many runners out there who are in this season and on this day and in this week thinking of Boston. Oh, absolutely. For many reasons. Absolutely. So I think it's very appropriate. So. It's going to be an awesome run segment, and we are fortunate enough this week to have an amazing food and drink segment as well. Well, we had to celebrate. Yeah, if you land Catherine Switzer's an interview. Exactly. You celebrate that. You go out. Now, we also ran. Okay. We also got some miles in. We Amy's you know getting the leg moving, and she's yes. seeing the therapist, but... We celebrated not only the interview, which really is what we were celebrating, but we also got some running in. So and we celebrated both. We did. And we're going to do food and drink from a single location. We are. Here in Southwest Florida. So that when you plan your next runcation to come visit your favorite podcasters, you know where to go. So... Let's talk running. Or rather, why don't you and Catherine talk running? Oh, an icon, a hero, the author of Marathon Woman, one of my favorite audio books to listen to on any long run. Someone who has inspired so many in the running community to take that first step toward running a marathon, running whatever distance whatever goal achieving whatever dream a runner happens to have it's Catherine switzer so humbled so honored and so privileged to welcome an icon an iconic athlete an author an award-winning broadcaster an advocate for women's running the first ever to run Boston legitimately, Catherine Switzer. Welcome to the Runny Drink Podcast. We are so incredibly thrilled to have you today. Well, I am so incredibly thrilled to be here all the way from New Zealand. So it's so yes. pretty early in the morning. And look, I've got my coffee ready. Yay! <laughs> I was like, oh. So thank you for having me. No, it's, gonna, it's, it's wonderful to be here and see you guys. 
Yay. It's well, it's April 1st where you are. It's not April fools. She's on our show. This is, I was going to say, this is not an <laughs> April fools joke. We actually have Catherine Switzer on the show. Yay. Oh, yay. So yay, but all the way from New Zealand, we have to explain <sighs> that, you know, people are saying, why are you there? Well, what yeah. a great place to be during COVID really. You know, yeah, we, Roger, my husband and I are actually dual citizens. And so we live half the time in the U.S. and half the time here, but not half the time here in New Zealand anymore because the time in the U.S. has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So Mm. we try to spend at least three months of the summer here, our summer, which is your winter. And of course, COVID came down and we had to make a decision quickly. Everything was getting canceled, of course. So we said, hey, listen, we're in the safest country and the sanest country in the world. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, you know, to stay here. I've been here now, what, 18 months. Oh, and, wow. um, and, you know, in, in the whole time of this pandemic, New Zealand has only lost 25 lives. So it has been stunning. We're the world leader mm. in, in controlling the, the virus and the health and health and, and of course, fantastic training. So, you know, it, <sighs> it couldn't be better for a runner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really? And, and what we've seen of New Zealand, of course, just in, in media and online is just so beautiful and what terrain and just a, a, a wonderful, unique opportunity for you. And uh, I can't think of a better way to ride out the pandemic than that. That that sounds yeah. pretty great. So yeah, oh. right. I I didn't find running in my life until until my late thirties, and then I started voraciously reading everything I could get my hands on. And Marathon Woman is one of my <laughs> favorites. Yes, it's one of my favorite audiobooks of all time. I. On all my long runs, I listen to something very motivational. I just have, did you expect such a response to that book? Because I feel like it resonates with all kinds of runners. You know what? I expected that once people read it and and actually it is, it's pretty long book It's 325 pages, but I had to cut a hundred thousand words. So, I mean, I had to cut the book in half and don't worry, there's going to be a volume two someplace. Oh, I what, I, what I loved, what I loved is what I hoped would happen is that people laughed because it's a book about really, I mean, running is sort of the metaphor that carries it. Of course, it's about running, but it's about overcoming the impossible. And it's also about making the worst things in your life, the best things. And so they're oh. constantly, as you, there were the worst things. And then I wind up, you wind up laughing at yourself because what else can you do? And there were so many hilarious moments people who wrote to me and said, I just fell out of my chair laughing over that. And for instance, like starting the Boston Marathon in 1967 with a sanitary napkin band uh, (laughs) pinned in my glove, which had dextrose tablets in it for energy, which I didn't even know what dextrose was. (laughs) hilarious moments like that <laughs> i mean just I, I, the so you're known for being the first official woman registrant of the the boston marathon in 1967 like like you mentioned roberta gibb was a predecessor uh, i'm just interested and in, for for those that really that you need to get in and you need to read this book because it's so motivating and so inspirational and so real. And I love that you narrate it on the, the audio book that I listened to. It's so great. It's Thank so you. real that way. Amy, Amy I'm going to interrupt you on that. 
two things. One, yes. yes, I did the narration of that. My voice did not recover for six weeks. Are you it was kidding? torture. It was the hardest marathon I ever ran, but I was oh. determined to do my own voice. And yeah, it was seven days in a, for six hours a day in a sound box nonstop. Oh my and gosh. Yeah, oh, it was ridiculous. You and don't think about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And yeah, as broadcasters yourself, you know, yeah. you know, you, you, you sometimes deliver the line perfectly. And then they say, okay, stop, cut. And I said, what's wrong with that? And they said, we heard your stomach growling. Ah. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm that guy that does yeah. that to her. So uh, no. yeah, that's me. I, I'm going to well, apologize yeah. right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, but anyway, it's okay. So that was a marathon. Your, your first official foray would be the, the Boston marathon, but I want to know what attracted you to the distance. Oh yeah. I think it goes back to childhood and I'm glad you, we have to mention my predecessors. I didn't know anything about my predecessors and I heard about Roberta in 1966 by that time, I had been running a lot. And, and that was a relief to me to hear, you know, that she had run the Boston Marathon because it was now I knew it could be done. And I always felt it could be done. But there there were six or seven other women who had run marathons. In fact, one from here in New Zealand mm-hmm. ran a 314 in 1964, Millie Sampson. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it had been done, but not with any fanfare or official sanction. But what attracted me in the first place was, you know, my dad had always encouraged me to run when I was 12. Mm -hmm. That was really important. I made the field hockey team in my high school by running a mile a day. And it was the empowerment, the sense of power empowerment that really propelled me. And I realized that I could run forever. That's the way I felt. But I couldn't run really particularly fast. I never got tired. But it made me feel so fearless. It was just Mm. just a great feeling. But what really attracted me to the marathon in particular was the first time I heard about it. And I thought, gosh, isn't that amazing? And I said to my dad, I said, wow, people run, you know, 26 miles. And he said, oh, honey, he's a big army guy. He said, I put troops on a forced march many times, 25 miles. And many times I had to carry their packs myself, you know, that kind of thing. And he said, people can go forever. And he said, that's why, for instance... Indians could hunt down deer. He said, because Mm -hmm. they could eventually outrun them. And I said, you can't outrun a deer. And he said, he said, yes, you can. You know, if you stalk it, you can outrun it because you have the endurance and the animal doesn't. And I thought, Mm. isn't that amazing? Isn't Mm. that amazing? So I I always felt that as humans, not particularly as women, it was the discovery of women's superior ability and endurance and stamina, which is uh, fascinated me the most, of course. Um, Mm. But it was the knowledge that humans could do it. So if humans could do it, I counted. So, <laughs> yeah, that was always the thing. Then, of course, the story is also well known that when I went to Syracuse University, which is a powerhouse university for mm. sports for men. But in 1966, there were no sports, intercollegiate sports for women. Men had 25 no. sports with scholarships and women had yeah. play days. <laughs> So yeah, I but went, they had to recruit you for their team. No, no, that right? was at Lynch, that was at Lynchburg College in Lynchburg, Virginia, for two ah, years, and um, ah. I was there for two years. And I was recruited on the men's. I was recruit, recruited on the men's track team because they needed a miler just to pick up points, and ah. so I, I ran with them. So I was used to running with men, but when I went to Syracuse, I heard about the marathon, you know, before, of course, but. At Syracuse, I actually met a marathon runner who was the volunteer coach for the men's cross country team at Syracuse, and he was a mailman. But this is Arnie, yes, this, this is, is Arnie. Arnie. 
uh, Barney, who lived for the day once a year where he could run the Boston Marathon and felt like a hero. And every time we'd be out running together, he took me under his wing. I was 19. He was 50. He was really old and, and, and um, took me under his wing and every night would tell me another Boston Marathon story. And, and he had run 15 of them. So hearing uh, another story about Clarence DeMar or Tarzan Brown or Johnny Kelly, the elder or younger, was very exciting to me. And, and then came the day I told him I was tired of talking about it and wanted to run it. And it was Arnie who said to me that a woman couldn't possibly run a marathon. And I said, what? And he said, absolutely impossible. Women are too weak and too fragile. And I remember it very, very distinctly because it was, we were running 10 miles in a freaking blizzard in Syracuse, <laughs> New York. Black is a you know, totally black night. And, and it was the snow coming down. We almost got killed out there with the cars. And uh, we argued. And finally, he relented and said, look, I'll give you this. He said he didn't believe anybody had run. No woman had run a marathon. He wouldn't believe it. Even despite all the news about Roberta Gibb, you know, in the papers and Sports Illustrated and everything. Mm. He said, I believe you could do it if any woman could, but you'd have to show me first. And he said, in fact, if you'd show me in practice, I'd be the first person to take you to Boston. So I don't know about you guys, but somebody yeah. gives me a challenge like that. It's one of those watch this face and let's go. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. He and when I showed him, he was he had to yeah. know he was poking the bear that he was daring. <laughs> Yeah. That couldn't have been accidental. No. Gosh, what a funny, funny, wonderful relationship we had. You know, he wasn't really a coach and he wasn't, he wasn't a father figure or a boyfriend figure or a brother figure. Mm -hmm. He was my running buddy and we all have a running buddy. And, you know, you tell them the secrets of your soul and Mm -hmm. things like age and gender and and Mm -hmm. income and religion all don't matter. They're your buddy. And it's amazing how that works. But anyway, now he became the coach. Now he became the mentor. And I paid strict attention to him. And my goal was to prove to Arnie Briggs, you know, that I could cover that marathon distance. And I think you know the story, yeah. Amy. You know, we, we I went do. out to run it. <laughs> and, and every time I go out on a long run and I, I hear that part of the book and I, I, I hear, show me you can do it in training. Show me the distance. I, I think things come full circle for me because Jeff Galloway is my coach. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. He, and he is a big proponent of doing the distance or well beyond the distance before the race day. Do you still believe in that and advocate Absolutely. that even beyond your training with Arnie? Absolutely. In fact, I mean, I always at least do once, at least once the distance of practice before I run a marathon, even now. But back in the day when I was running really, really well, I I mean, I would do 27 miles every Sunday. And I mean, maybe that is completely, completely overtraining. But let me tell you, when you go to the starting line of a marathon and you've done that, you know, you can finish. So you don't Mm -hmm. even have to worry about that. And that is the the number one worry that people have. The other thing is physiologically, when you get to, you train your body to burn the fat. So Mm -hmm. normally we lose our, as you know, we lose our our sugars, our glycogens at about 30 Ks. Let's say 18 miles, between 18 and 21 is the real killer. Mm -hmm. And then you're on fumes. But if your body has been trained through that again and again and again, it always remembers. Mm -hmm. And now it says, okay, we make that conversion easier easier each time 
and yeah. particularly for women who, who, whose fat resource is a huge, huge, potentially a, a great source of fuel and energy, when we can convert it quickly, then we don't go through the, the, the bonk or, 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 you know, hitting the wall. So mm-hmm. that's really important to me. But the confidence factor, I think, is the greatest thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great feeling to go to the start line, you know, worry about everything else, You're but like, don't worry about that. <laughs> I have that. Yeah. I mean, the weather can deal you unknowns. We've seen that in Boston and Absolutely. you never, you never know, but if you've done the distance, then that's something you don't have to worry about. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you did the distance you headed to Boston. Yeah. But wait, we did more than the distance. Yeah, we did 26.2. And then Arnie was so impressed. I said, look, I don't think we measured this right. Let's run another five miles. I want to be really sure. We, yes. went to, we went to 31. So it's 50 Ks. And it's an ultra, right? And, and he passed out at the end of the workout. Yeah. And, when, <laughs> and when, he passed, when he came to, he said, women have hidden potential in endurance and stamina. I was dancing around. I felt like I'd won an Olympic gold medal, right? And mm. he was out. And he said, he said, you know, and I said, you know, I think we ha- have discovered something really important. Of course, that's which is changing the face of sports right now. I mean, because women are winning ultras, 100 mile races, six day races outright. And it's going to it's completely changing our attitudes about what, you know, is available for women in sports. We're going to be creating mm. more events for us. We bring that endurance aspect to di- all kinds of different games. And I think, quite frankly, we bring it to the business table as well. Mm. And I, I talk about the fact that if, if we're, it doesn't mean that men are better or we're better. It means that men have speed, power, strength. We have endurance, stamina, balance, and flexibility. It, it, it means we can make a pretty good team, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and if we can bring those different resources to sports, why can't we bring those to business? We do. Bring it to all yeah. aspects of yes. life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just, it, yeah. yeah. And I think we're going to change, see a different Olympic games in the future. Why do the Olympic games have to be for thousands of years to what they've been? Right. So it's, I, I'd love to see a 24 hour run. I'd love to see a relay with men and women in the Olympics. We can make it happen. I mean, yeah. your audience has got some young people who are going to make this a revenue stream for heaven's sakes. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I, what do you, what do you think it will be in the future? I think in sports. I think the door is wide open. I also think in terms of what sport has to offer, everybody is, uh, people are really interested in, yeah. in, in things like Ironman. Let's say. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a huge, huge undertaking, but the human spirit wants to do huge things. And we can with women, for instance, especially we're no, noticing that, if women are winning the ultra races and six day races and, and 24 hour runs, why don't we form a team or a relay or like here in New Zealand, we have something called a grand traverse, which is a six day race, three, three men on the team, three women on the team is very, very tough. Believe me, it's running over crevasses and climbing mountains and stuff like that. But the interesting thing is, is the guys who are some of the, the best ultra runners in the world say the women always bring the team home and mm-hmm. And I say, why is that? And they say, because they can read the compass. And we can't read the compass anymore. Now, that's, that's really interesting. They t- and they totally admit that. <laughs> oh, I didn't think that <laughs> And I think it answer. has to do with our natural ability for sleep deprivation, fat threshold, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But all of those things also are related to childbirth. 
if mm. it takes a woman three days to have a baby, I don't know any man who can do that. <laughs> no, me either. <laughs> no, no, myself included. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, I was going to say, I think that this is something that's really interesting because this also adds a dimension when you're creating your team and you are adding a sort of a almost a tactical or strategic element to when your runners might run their segment, which runner is going to be the best, but given their propensities, mm-hmm. their, their natural abilities, of course, their speed. But, but like you were mm-hmm. saying, the endurance factor portions of those race courses would be better suited for different runners. Mm. Absolutely. Already, you know, again, I don't see this too much in the U.S. and it's, it's unfortunate, but in, in New Zealand, we, we've had a whole history of wonderful relays, which are road relays. And so the team is, let's say, is usually six, six people. And then you, you meter it out and somebody says, listen, you know, I've got a sore Achilles, so I can't really do the downhill or whatever. And they say, fine, you take the flat then or, or take the uphill. Somebody's always better at the uphill. Somebody's always better at climbing. Somebody's mm-hmm. always better at this at a fast finish. And the, the relays are of different distances. I mean, the legs. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going to put mm. your fast. You're going to put your fast person on the on the two, on the two mile, and you're going to put your your slogger on the hill, which is ten miles, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, same thing. <laughs> when you when you got to Boston, I we've talked about what motivated you to do it and what made it motivated you to find running and things like that. And I, can you talk a little bit about the emotions that you felt at at the at the starting line and, and at the time of the infamous photo with Jock Semple? Sure. First of all, it was Arnie who insisted I sign up for the race. I thought we were just going to go up to Boston and jump in. And he said, you can't do that. I mean, this is a Boston marathon. And I thought, well, okay. And so we went through the rule book. It's really important to know that there was nothing that said in the rule book that this is a men's only race for no gender on the entry form. I signed my name, KV Switzer, not to defraud them. That's the way I signed my name. And they thought that was from a guy. So there's a series of coincidences that led to my actually getting that bib number. Hold on. I got it over here. Uh, there we go. Ta-da. Oh, two, six, one. Yay. 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 Look at that. Got it. Yeah. And that's where Jock got the one on the back. See, so got. Oh, that's where. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, oh so. Gosh. But my emotions were, I was, you know, it was, I was, it was my first big marathon. So certainly I, you know, was concentrating on running and I wanted to run it well. I was annoyed about the weather. It was horrible weather. It was the worst weather at Boston up to 2018. And headwind, sleet, snow, really raw, about 34 degrees and, and coming down with big snowflakes and wind. And so we were concerned about the weather and we wore yeah. everything we had. We, we brought all our crummy gear to Boston because we were going to throw it away. And as we warmed up and, and instead there, we had to keep it on the whole time as much as we could. Everybody looked like refugees. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but things might have changed if it had been a warm day and I was in my cute shorts and top. Who knows? Mm. An official may have come over to me and said, hey, you're out of here or whatever. But in, anyway, the guys were wonderful, as always. Guys in running have always been wonderful to women in running. Guys who run. Okay, mm-hmm. not officials, guys who yeah, run. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we were we were happy campers at the start. You know, everybody was pleasant to me. And hey, there we go. And the gun goes off like like you know at the beginning of the race, everybody's happy until about a mile and a half when the press truck came by. Then they were taking pictures. We waved at them. You know, we thought that was kind of fun too. Mm-hmm. But then, alongside of that, of course, everybody knows was the officials' bus and Jock Semple, the 
co-race director of the marathon was on that. And he was furious when he saw a girl in his race wearing a bib number, stopped the bus, jumped off of it, ran after me. And I didn't even know he was there, you know, coming up behind me and grabbed me, spun me around and grabbed me by the shirt, by the shoulders, spun me back and said, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers and tried mm-hmm. to, to rip my numbers off my front and back. And I jumped away and he grabbed me again by the shirt and he went for the one on my back. And that's that's where he got the, the corner. That here. Part, yeah. And Arnie, my coach, was with me screaming, you know, leave her alone. I've trained her. She's OK. And and then he just smacked Arnie like this. And my boyfriend. And this is the funny part of the story. My boyfriend, who was an ex-All-American football player from Cornell, <laughs> was 235 pounds. And he came and hit jock with a shoulder charge and threw him out of the race instead and arnie screamed run like hell down down the street we went and it's funny in the retelling okay but it was a a terrible moment it was a really terrible moment oh my god it was i was just i was only 20 and it was my first big race and i wasn't there to prove anything i was there to run i mean i knew i could cover the distance so Mm -hmm. i wasn't there as a political move or anything just there because it was my reward from arnie Mm. And I went through that split second of fear and doubt that we all do. Like, what have I done wrong? You know, women always do that. They always say it's their own fault. (laughs) Like, what have I done wrong? Okay. The press were horrible, you know, shouting at me. And I said, should I, should I step off the course? And Arnie looked at me and there was that look in his eye, like, what do you want to do here? And, and I said, listen, I got to finish this race, even on my hands and my knees, if I have to. And I said, because if, if I don't, if I drop out and I, I know I can do it, <laughs> I know I can do it. And I said, but if I drop out, everybody's going to say the same thing they always say about women, which mm. is that women are always barging into places where they're not invited and they can't do it anyway. And that's what was happening in business. It was happening at university. And, and I said, you know, I got to finish and I know I can do it. You know, if you want to know the truth also, you know, how the hell else was I going to get home? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we didn't have a plan B, you know, we were going to finish the race and get in the car and go home. Yeah, you <laughs> you got to get there. It wasn't a political move. It was pragmatic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. And, and I always tell people, you know, when they're like, they got six miles to go and they say, I, I can't do anymore. I got to drop out. I said, going to take you longer to drop out than it is to hang in there and walk and run and finish. But anyway, yeah. so we plowed on and, the, and the rest of the race, as, as with all of us who run a marathon, the rest of the race was a constant series of revelations. You know, I always say a marathon is like putting your lifetime in a microcosm. In 26 miles, you, you go through your whole life experience of why am I here? What is this doing? What is it all about? And then by the time you get to Heartbreak Hill, you, you're no longer angry because you can't, you, can't, you can't be angry anymore. You're too tired to be angry. And so I forgave old Jock Semple. He was just a product of his time. And it was then during that moment that I started started getting angry at women because I didn't know why women wouldn't do anything bold or take any chances or do anything as exceptional as running a marathon. And I suddenly Mm. realized it's not their fault. They've never had the opportunity to try. And and by that time, they were fearful. So I needed to do something to create the opportunity mm. um, and take the responsibility for it to, to create that opportunity so that they would have the chance mm. to do something and realize they could do it. 
you can't imagine doing it unless you take that step. And as we all know, people who say I could never run a marathon. And then two years later, they came rushing up to you and say, oh, my God, it's changed my life. <laughs> you sh- so you, you need showed. to take the first step. Yeah, yeah. You need to. Yeah. So when I finished the race, it was pretty anticlimactic because I had to go through the same barrage of questioning from the angry press and officials. Mm. And by that time, I had already grown up. You know, I often say I started the Boston Marathon as a girl and I finished it as a grown woman. Because you do go through this lifetime. And I had, I had this whole, whole life plan, like suddenly, you know, in front of me. I didn't know what it looked like, but I knew what I needed to do. I'd love to hear her talk about her journey to Boston, how she discovered running, and her, a little bit about her book, which everybody should listen to or read. Oh, absolutely. It's it's become a, a one of those go-tos when we're driving someplace on a road trip. And the thing that you forget about, or that maybe as, as a man I forget about, is that this didn't happen all that long ago. That's true. And it's amazing to see how far we've come. And, and there's... I was, I was going to say, and it's due in no small part some would say she was the the catalyst for all of it. Mm. Do no in small part. Do in no small part to what Catherine did that day. And then what she continued to do after that. It was like that day she found her purpose in that race, mm-hmm. and she continues to talk about that in the second part of the interview, which we will have next week. But in the meantime, let's talk about the celebration. Yes. Let's let's talk about what we did to celebrate, not only getting this interview, but also getting some miles in ourselves because we are, you are still recouping and and doing what the TheraBeast tells you. Of course. Yes. Kristen is amazing. She is. And, I mean, you and Josh have dubbed her the hashtag TheraBeast, but it, it is... I say it with love. In such a loving way. I so, <laughs> yes, she's working very hard with me to get me back to running and towards that goal eventually of getting back to half marathons and maybe even a marathon. Ooh. So... I love it. We'll see how that goes. We decided to take the celebration of this iconic interview and of the progress we have made in our running to Jungle Bird Tiki here in Cape Coral. And this is an interesting spot because when Jungle Bird first came on the scene in Southwest Florida, this was a pop-up restaurant. This was a uh, chef who was trying out a concept and wasn't sure it was going to work. So... Mm -hmm. They would pop up, do the restaurant one night a week, two nights a week, evaluate menu items, make changes and tweaks, whether Mm. that's food or drink, and then would pop up again in a week or two. And Mm. then finally, Jungle Bird became a permanent fixture here in our hometown. Yeah. And if you're a fan of tiki, and that can be drinks Mm -hmm. that can be decor that can be the culture that mid-century um 
You love it. I do. Yeah. I, th- I think there's something so inherently fun and in some ways very innocent, but at the same time not, especially when you start talking about tiki bars. But it's just, it's this celebration of like Pacific Island feel and theme without actually being any one particular island culture. Right. It borrows and takes little bits and pieces here and there and then mashes it all up and spits out something that's inherently mid-century America, very kitschy, very, in some ways, very corny, but undoubtedly, I think, one of the most enjoyable bar and restaurant experiences when you start talking about going to a really cool tiki bar whether it's the one we're going to be talking about tonight mm-hmm. or maybe something like uh the one of the originals trader, trader Vicks, Vicks, or some other ones that might have you know popped up across the united states especially as you head out towards california where sure. the, allegedly the tiki movement in the u.s began mm. historians say so this place pops up and mm. we've been eyeballing it for a long time well and also our friends at Just a Podcast in Paradise who we it just, out. Yes, who we just recently talked to here. Yes, and we took a chance on their recommendation. If you're going to gamble. I don't gamble, know if you want to say take a chance, right? I'm saying if you're going to gamble, it doesn't hurt to do what's basically going to be a sure thing. Yeah, yeah. So just walking up to this location... Now that they are in a singular location, that restaurant is in a singular location. It's really pretty. The building is brick. And what I love is you come right through a to an open courtyard. Yes, and there's seating in the courtyard. It's not just for decor. No, it is. It's not enclosed at the top. There's no roof over this courtyard. Mm-hmm. It is open so if it's a nice day and it was a particularly beautiful day in florida yes then you have all that natural light it wasn't that hot and even if it was you do get some covered seating in that courtyard there's some shade yes yeah there's uh shade as you sit under the awning of the building or under Mm -hmm. the overhang of the building itself yeah i just like you walk into that courtyard and their logo is right there jungle bird tiki there is painted on the exposed brick yeah it's so cute it's gorgeous and you have just i don't you have there's comfortable like what you, uh, booth seating yes you have you like have a half a, booth or, yeah. or a banquette where yeah you, yeah yeah you, uh, half your party sits against the wall in the booth and then you got the table and then you're sitting i uh, like like i did i sat in the chair yeah, I liked the pillows that made it feel kind of homey and laid back and comfortable and the plants all around. It definitely gave you a, a tropical feel. And I feel like we went in the afternoon, but I feel like at night when you have some of the lights, the string lights all around. Oh, yeah. All, your, all you need is like a steel drum band. Ooh. And steel drum or bongos or something 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 tropical something yeah. that would yeah drive that that feel home mm-hmm. 
And then there's also bar seating and restaurant seating indoors. And this is what I thought was really cool. Like you, you were loving the courtyard thing. I love the fact that on either side of the courtyard is a building. It's like a house. The, the thing is shaped, shaped like a U, basically. And yeah. the courtyard is the middle of the U. Mm. We sat literally against the the back wall as you walked into the courtyard, I right under the, the Jungle Bird Tiki logo. Yeah. And then on either side, you've got like a restaurant on one side and then a bar with some seating on the other. Such a cool layout. Mm-hmm. And we brought the crowd. Because when we walked in, there was maybe one other party. I don't know. It might have been. I think it was a party of three ladies. Yeah, that they had just opened as well. They weren't. They hadn't been open too long. Didn't last long for the day. But then we did. We brought the crowd. (laughs) So we got some food orders in because again we're celebrating. We're refueling, interviewing heroic, iconic runners, and getting some runs in yourself is hard work. And we wanted to sample a couple of items on the menu to give you guys a feel. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you want to start or do you want me to start? You go ahead. Okay. Yeah. One thing that we always get when we go to Trader Vic's in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. every time we go, this is, again, the classic, original, the tiki bar. When you think tiki bar, this is the one you're thinking of. And when you go there... And they always have a crab rangoon, and we get it as part of a poo-poo platter. I love that it's called a poo-poo platter. (laughs) Yeah. P-U-P-U. Yes. Platter. Yes. And it's absolutely one of our favorites as far as a sampler, a little taste of everything. Mm. And I love crab rangoon. I think it's indulgent. Yes. It's delicious. It's basically imitation crab meat or real crab meat, depending on where you get it. Mm-hmm. Mixed with cream cheese, that is put into a wonton wrapper that's you know wrapped into a triangle and then fried. So you get the of crab rangoon that's just crispy on the outside, mm. and gooey on the inside, and it's tart and creamy, and it's got that sweet crab flavor, and my mouth is watering. I know. As I'm talking. I'm right here with you. Our friends at Jungle Bird Tiki basically do a riff on the crab rangoon. But instead of making individual Rangoon um, like pockets that they deep fry, they deconstruct it into a crab wonton dip, and then they put their own flair to it. So this has a combination of pineapple cream cheese. Which is interesting. Which is totally unexpected. Yeah. Of course, crab meat... A little bit of soy sauce, duck sauce, and sriracha. Mm. They put this in a they put everything in a crock and they bake it and then it's topped with those three sauces. Mm. A little squirt of sriracha, a little squirt of duck sauce, a little bit of soy sauce to give you that salty kick. Mm. And then they surround it with these golden brown fried wontons. And they remind me of the wontons from the ahi tuna nachos down there at Kiki Sandbar. Yes, down in uh, Little Torch Key here mm-hmm. in Florida. Very similar. So these were cooked a little more than those. They were a little yes. more crisp, a Agreed. little more, a little darker in color, but very firm. Yes, they held up to dipping. Not tough, but firm, so that you could use them as the vehicle and you didn't have to use utensils. I get really annoyed when we get any kind of a dip 
or you go some breakage. Yes. I hate that. I hate it when the, when a place gives me really flimsy want or tortilla chips, any kind of chip, any kind of chip, any kind of chip. It's gotta be firm enough to resist dipping. Mm. And they did not disappoint here. So in this dish, you're getting what I was talking about, which is that tartness and creaminess from the cream cheese. And then that sweetness from the crab. But the addition of the pineapple cream cheese gives it an extra bit of sweetness and tropical flair that I wasn't expecting. And there's a tang from that pineapple. Yes. Mm. What did you think of it? It was excellent. I'm, and it's big enough for maybe four or six people. Yes. I, I, okay. That was the thing. I was expecting a smaller portion. This, the crock that they serve this then is about the size of what you would normally get, say, a French onion soup in. Mm hmm. It was a large serving of that dip and ample wonton chips. So you're telling me that you think that the ratio of chip to dip was good? Yes. I agree. I, that and that's a problem too. I hate when you go to a place and you get like a dip that's a that's a, like the feature that you're yeah. going to get, and then you either have not enough dip or not enough chips. Right. So I think this was a perfect ratio. I agree. Would you get this again? I would. I just. I also they had another dip that I wanted to try as well, and I think it was their buffalo dip. Yes. Yeah. So I'd be interested to to compare the two and see. Yeah, we were feeling a little islandy, a little tropical on this day. And one thing I also liked about this was the addition of a little dollop of sriracha and duck sauce mm. on top would let you drag your dip through that. If you wanted a little extra spice. You could have it. You could have it. Or not. Or if you like the duck sauce, the sweet, that like sweet and sour element that it mm. imparts. Yeah. So I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and this came in at $15. You Like you said, this is why I'm saying easily I a party of four could split this. This, yeah, amongst a party of four, and that makes it kind of affordable. If you go as a couple, then it's on the pricier side for two people to split. It's also very, very again, very plentiful and yeah. very rich. Yeah. I so. would say you could make it a part of the meal. Yes. And not necessarily have to or need to move to an entree. Or you could have, just bring the whole party with you. Absolutely. Let's, 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 can we bring the dip crew with us and just... Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> bring the dip crew and get some dip. Yeah. Chips and dip. little on the nose there? Mm, I don't know. We'll have to get back to them and ask them. So, but, but we tried something else. Yeah, we did a whole surf and turf experience here. I see what you did there. So the crab wonton dip, that serves as the seafood portion, the... the surf that is the surf and the turf is a beef carpaccio they had which had a tiki flair which shocked me because typically beef carpaccio that we've had in the past it'll have the very thinly sliced beef and it will have parmesan cheese and and capers a little olive oil and cracked Mm -hmm. pepper maybe yeah and then some kind of crustini or some kind of vehicle Yep, right. For that. And you create what you want, as much of the Parmesan, as much of the meat. The But this beef carpaccio, this was thinly sliced beef tenderloin, pineapples, capers, Parmesan cheese, cracked pepper, candied pistachios, I thought were really different. 
extra virgin olive oil and crustini. Yeah, I've never had candied pistachios in my life. I don't think I have either. I don't. I've had candied almonds. Sure. Pre, yeah. uh, pecan pralines. Yeah, but I don't think pistachios. No. So, so it was kind of a first. So break it down. Tell me what you liked about this dish. I like the crustini. It had the crunchy crust, but then the soft inside, the flesh of the bread mm-hmm. was soft, yet held up to the ingredients, first of all. So... Then you have this thinly sliced beef, and it's it's circular. And beef carpaccio is not for everybody. No, for, if you're not familiar with the dish, I feel like I have to stop here and say, "Here's the disclaimer." Here's the disclaimer: It's not cooked. Eating raw or undercooked beef may increase your risk of foodborne illness. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, carpaccio is traditionally it is the tenderloin is sliced very thin and then pounded even thinner mm-hmm. to to additionally tenderize the tenderloin. Which doesn't really need to be need it. needed, but so this is a really interesting, visually uh, interesting dish. Mm-hmm. But some people, when they see it, they recoil and go, uh, "I don't know about that." But trust us, it's so, if you're an adventurous eater, it's really good. It's so tasty. the The meatiness and the thinly sliced beef you could almost see through it once you got it off the plate. You really could. And so you lay that down on the crustini, and then you have pineapples, little slivers of pineapple. It's not like rings, Mm -hmm. but it's chopped up. And that provides a sweetness and a tartness. Capers, which are a salty, briny element. Parmesan cheese. I love capers. And I love Parmesan cheese. They both provide a saltiness, but it's different. Yeah, I think Parmesan is more tangy saltiness and Mm. capers is more like... More of a bite. More of a bite Mm. and more of a... Like a brine. Pop, like like salt water. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cracked pepper. I love cracked pepper. Just the texture of cracked pepper. And it's not super spicy. It's just, it has a little bit of a crunch element. See, I love that. I You're spot on coarse ground black pepper mm. when you i like it when you get a big piece of it and it does give you a little ooh, hello i'm here like a kick a little kick just a little kick balanced with the candied pistachios they were just sweet this was a unique element i've like i said i've never in I my love life pistachios. seen i do too but i they've always been a salty serving yep. or a salty component, component of any something. snack or dish or what have you these were sweet and nutty and crunchy mm. oh so you got a good textural component there too and you could build the crostini however you want it you could leave off any one of these elements if you wanted to i just feel like all of it together provided the perfect tropical and tiki version of beef carpaccio yeah i i agree and this is one of those where you know our friends over at the mouse ears and magic podcast would joke about it and say did you make the perfect bite as a matter of fact we did we did this we did. is one of those that when you hear the list of ingredients you're like oh that sounds weird when you look at the episode artwork 
It's gorgeous. It is a gorgeous well, dish. The, the, I'm going to post pictures because the episode, I'm just going to hear the, the disclaimer is that the episode artwork is just Catherine. Oh, okay. In that case, okay. check out the photos in our social media feed because the, the food is gorgeous. Yeah. This dish, the ingredients, when you just hear it, you're like, I don't know about that. But then when you look at the presentation, it's, it's gorgeous. beautiful, And a crostini topped with each one of these elements. The thing about the thinly sliced beef, like you were talking about, you'd almost see through it. When you eat that, the way it is the tenderest, yeah. most mild, beefy flavor. And you get, so you get that on the great crostini bread. And, I, and what you said about the crostini bread is totally true. I, I appreciate restaurants trying to get you fancy bread to make crostinis out of. But pro tip. If your bread has a lot of air holes in it and you slice it and it turns out that it doesn't make a good bed for the items, it's not a good choice of bread for your crostini. No. Um, what I love about Jungle Bird was they get it right. Yeah. So this bread was perfect. Mm -hmm. So the bread gives you great crunch and great chew. Mm. The beef was ridiculously beefy and tender. The sweet tartness of that pineapple, like you said, Beef and pineapple. A lot of times you'll see like a Hawaiian something, like a Hawaiian steak or Hawaiian something. They'll You'll often see meats that are marinated briefly in, mm. in pineapple mm. because it, it has a natural enzyme that tenderizes meat. I don't know that you really need to worry about that in this case, but that flavor combination of beef and pineapple, oh, mm. it's killer. And then all the, like you said, all the other components, the, the capers, the parm, the pistachios oh. so good yeah so this is one of those it's an adventurous dish yeah but would you get it again 100 percent, yes wow okay i think it was my favorite dish we had there that's breaking that's, news folks i didn't even tough. know that that's but i think it was I just love a good carpaccio, and I know that a lot of people, that will be a divider because some people are not going to go there. And that's okay. And it's okay. They have other items. Mm -hmm. The crab wonton dip, and we just couldn't stop there. Oh, no. So next week, we will have to break down a couple of other surf and turf dishes oh, that we had. I see what we're doing there. Okay. So. Okay. So that you could get there more, if you're not going to go in the, I'm just not going to go there. With raw or undercooked with food. With raw, with beef carpaccio. I'm not going to go there. There are other items on the menu that are high quality, full of flavor you need to try. Okay. You heard it here, folks. So you've got a little preview of what next week's episode is also going to be all about. So stay tuned for that. But now that we have done the running and done the eating, of course, if you're at a tiki bar, mm. you have to have a tiki drink. You do. But first, before we go on, we want to say thank you to all of our patrons for your support and the growth that you guys have allowed us to achieve. I just installed today a replacement hard drive because oh. one of the hard drives that came over with the redo of the studio died on me yesterday. So thanks to our the, the magic uh, fairies at uh, 
Amazon. I was able to get one quickly and uh, delivered and get it installed. Amazon's so not a sponsor. I'm just just saying that's where I ordered it from. So that we can have a backup of everything. In, yes, in case things go bad. So you guys enabled me to be able to do that. And your contribution each month helps us continue to bring our Runcation Nation a great show here in 2021. We also want to say welcome to our newest patron. Yay! Katie Blomberg. Yay! She became our newest insider at the $10 level this week. Thank you so much, Katie. We love all of our patrons, and hopefully you all like the changes we've made to the studio, like Dana was talking about. He's finished. He's putting those finishing touches on. Some changes you'll see, some changes you won't. Some of them just make it possible for us to bring you better content. Exactly. Higher quality content. Don't set the bar too high. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) And as we hear more and more about live races returning and our Runcation Nation making plans, our patrons, like all of you, make it possible for us to resume Runcations and plan the first ever Runcation Nation meetup. Oh, I can't wait. Listen, if you go to patreon.com slash run, eat, drink podcast, we have three different levels of monthly support. Two dollars, or $10, and each of those have their own special perks that we are continuing to add to and refine in 2021. Patrons get a special thank you message from us. Insiders get a look behind the scenes, get access to video footage of special interviews, cooking demos, exclusive tastings of our favorite food and beverages, including bonus items from great places that didn't make it into the show. The show is always going to be free, but if you want more Run, Eat, Drink podcast content and you want to support the show long-term, check us out on Patreon. At, go to patreon.com slash Run, Eat, Drink podcast. Or if you use Podbean, you can tap on the reward button at the top of the Podbean app to become a patron. All the same perks and levels are right there in the Podbean app. As always, we thank everyone for any and every way you've supported and continue to support the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. So let's talk cocktails, because if you're going to talk tiki, you have to have a fruity rum-based cocktail. It's the law. It's the law? Yes, the law of tiki. And you are the law. I'm not the law of tiki, but Mm. I've read a book. You've read a book? I've literally read a book. I've read a book. Smuggler's Cove. Check it out. Okay. But what we're about to tell you, these are top secret, super, super duper potent cocktails that are on the menu. Top secret? Well, I don't know about top secret. They are certainly very potent and very delicious and the name the name of mine might sound like it's not safe for work but i promise you it is correct so it looks like based on what you've got here i'm starting off with the drink segment my drink was something called the banana hammock yes the banana hammock is a variation on the daiquiri get your mind out of the gutter of course, that's what it is. I wasn't <laughs> if you live thinking he- anything bad. If you live here in Florida, the daiquiri in both its frozen and traditional form is really a, a go-to drink in Florida. We had a traditional one at Santiago's Bodega. We did, as well as in Key West. In Orlando, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... Frozen daiquiris you can get at a lot of restaurants. Heck, even a lot of, of corporate chain restaurants serve have a daiquiri machine going. Mm-hmm. When it's got this, it looks like a, a Slurpee for adults. This isn't that. 
This is a variation made with Puerto Rican rum, citrus juice, and they used a spiced banana syrup to sweeten it. Interesting. Yes. This tasted like, how best to describe it? A slightly citrusy bananas foster would be the best way I could describe my cocktail. Very desserty. It, I, I think that when you're talking tiki drinks, except for a couple of notable ones on many tiki menus, most tiki drinks tend to be on the sweet side. This one, was it overly sweet? Oh, not at all. This was, for me, this was a very classy, very sippable, sweet and slightly tart, like I said, bananas foster. Like the hint, the aroma, the flavor of banana came through, but I wouldn't call it a dessert drink. But if you're going for tiki beverages and you know you're going to be getting uh, combinations of rum and fruit juice, because of the fruit juice content in most, not all, but most tiki drinks, they are going to skew on the sweeter side. Mm, true, true. And, my, and mine was served in a little martini glass and yeah. had a nice a garnish of a dried, I want to say it was a lime wheel, mm-hmm. like a, a freeze-dried, but dehydrated lime yeah, wheel yeah. floated in top and a little lime twist that was attached around the, the stem of the stemware with a tiny a clothespin. <laughs> it was adorable. The presentation was fantastic. What about you? I had something that... I, I can tell you the title. It's not. Not as dangerous as mine. Not as dangerous. It's safe for work. It's called the Mississippi Hog. I had the Mississippi Hog, which is mellow bourbon, Italian Amaro, and citrus paired with a classic almond syrup. Mm. Very nice. Now you're talking flavors I normally would go for. Well, I. Re- I it said mellow bourbon, and I was intrigued by that, and I took the recommendation of our server. Yes. So, And she was outstanding. She said it was great. She said they were known for libations that were very strong. Oh, yes. They're, they're, she, she was very upfront and said most tiki drinks are very booze forward. Yeah. And these were no exception, I don't think. Yes, I know reading the ingredients that the Mississippi hog is strong. But it had a mellow flavor. It's one of those that's dangerous because that almond flavor I love. And oh, you yeah. know that. You know. Oh. Whether it's orgeat oh. or amaretto. Right. You like, I'm a you big like that fan. Almond, almond flavor. I'm a big, big fan. But then you also have the citrus and the smokiness of a bourbon and it was served in just what a rocks glass i think yours was in a rocks glass wasn't it it was very pretty yeah and it had a a dehydrated what looked like an a blood orange to me although i didn't ask and is that the one that you had that had the had the purple and white flower garnish? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty purple flower there on the on the side. Yeah, yours looked like a blood orange slice. Yeah, yeah. So it just she 
she told us, she warned us that they would be really strong in flavor, pack up an alcoholic punch. Mm -hmm. But I felt like this was a milder alcoholic flavor than I was expecting. It was smoky bourbon balanced by the citrus and the almond and the Italian Amaro. Do you think that a different bourbon would have changed the flavor profile on this one? Possibly. I don't know what bourbon they used. If they're saying mellow bourbon, it's probably weeded. Like larceny. Something like that. Like a larceny. Now, if they'd have gone with something that was uh, maybe a more rye-forward bourbon mm. that had a little more oomph in terms of flavor, not alcohol, but in terms of flavor, do you think you'd have liked it as much? I don't know. It was very subtle. I felt very relaxed. And it, I think it was the perfect combination of flavors. Very nice. That's the banana hammock. And the Mississippi Hog. and I don't know where the, that name comes from. And, and the drink I was thinking of, the one that's typically, when you go to a tiki bar, the one that is classically not very sweet is actually called the Jungle Bird. That tends to be a more bitter drink. So it's actually the drink for which the bar is named. Oh. Interesting. Oh. A little okay. bit of trivia there. But boom, boom. Well, but I thought this was delightful. Next week. Mm-hmm. We're going to be finishing up that interview with the woman, the myth, the legend. The myth? The myth? She's like a living myth. Okay. She's a big deal. She is. She's a hero of mine, very inspired by her story and her journey. That is, of course, Catherine Switzer. Yeah. We'll have her on the show next week. We're also going to be revisiting Jungle Bird Tiki to bring you guys a little more food and drink from this must-go place in yeah. Southwest Florida. Perfect. It's the place so nice. We have to talk about it, it twice. Talk about it twice. Exactly. <laughs> so if you guys would do us a favor support, and you want to support the show a little bit, head over to Apple Podcasts <laughs> and give us a rating and you review. Said, you said a little bit. A little bit. But going over to Apple Podcasts and giving us a rating and review really helps us grow the Runcation Nation. It actually does because their algorithm wants to see recent reviews and mm -hmm. recent um, ratings. ratings. So if you could do that, we would really appreciate it. And of course, if you want to support us a lot bit, go over to <laughs> patreon.com slash run, eat, drink podcast. A lot bit. Check out those sponsorship levels. We Love would it. really appreciate that as well. Thank you so much for listening, for joining us on your long run, your commute to work, around the house, wherever you listen to us. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your co-host, Dana. Stay safe and well, and we will accomplish, explore, and indulge with you really soon. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. We're having another great year thanks to your support. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Run Eat Drink Podcast. And on Twitter, we're Run Eat Drink Pod. You can also give us a call at 941-677-2733 or send us an email at info at runeatdrink.net. Visit our website at runeatdrink.net and click on the subscribe link so you don't miss a minute. Find out how you can support the show at patreon.com slash run, eat, drink podcast. Accomplish, explore, and indulge right along with us. We'll talk to you next time.